Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by SeatGeek. Irish Illustrated listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code IRISH today. That's promo code I-R-I-S-H for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. With Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson, I'm Tim Priester. It's Thursday, January 10th, and we are back in the uh, podcast room here to... Actually, quite a bit has happened since... Last week, when well, first of all, Melly's healthy this week, yes. so we got him back and got him back in the mix. But uh, of course, Julian Love and Miles Boykin announcing that they're going to uh, test the NFL waters. Kareem and Okwara will not, which is great news for Notre Dame. Autry Denson, Charleston Southern possibility. Clemson hammered Alabama. Didn't think that we would be saying those Just words. As I know we you predicted. Did. I know you didn't. <laughs> Uh, and then Kyle Hamilton and All American Game, which I watched. I want to talk a little bit about that. But uh, well, we, let's start with the, the the national championship game. We don't want to get too deep into this because it's already becoming ancient history in in, uh, in our world. But uh, I thought Alabama would win. To say that I'm shocked that Clemson followed through with a with the season that they did. I mean, I, I don't know that I'm shocked by that because they were really really good. They were the best team. They were the most dominant team. They were the most deserving team. I thought Alabama would win going to the game because I thought the one chance people had at them was Georgia, and they blew it. You know, one of those things where like, oh, this is they're vulnerable today. Yeah. Tua got hurt and everything. But Clemson, just the way they were able to put them down, I even thought Alabama would come back in the second half. And, and that includes after Clemson's first touchdown when they started getting away a little. Nick Saban did not have a great game. The fake, <laughs> no. the fake field goal. It's shocking because Clemson had about 27 linebackers in a semicircle waiting for it to not call timeout. Like, you looked at it, and they're like, oh. And the announcer even goes, Clemson appears ready for a fake. And they're, they're, they are not right. kidding. They, are, they fanned out in a 4-7. Yeah. You can call timeout there. No, I know. I'm saying, and after it didn't work, he'd, like, turn to assistant <laughs> to blame somebody. <laughs> yeah. And I, you, you have control over that situation. It wasn't a good night for Saban. I, I mean... We've talked about Clemson's assistant coach. They're they're coordinators. They're tremendous. And all our analysis for Notre Dame Clemson red zone Clemson red zone defense came out one week later because Clemson's red zone defense made it so Alabama couldn't win the game. They yeah. stopped them every time they got down yeah. there. Yeah, it didn't get much of a workout against Notre Dame. Um, yeah, I thought that the the coaching coordinator stuff was really interesting on Monday night. Um, it, Venables just absolutely ate. Alabama alive in the same way that he ate Notre Dame alive. But um, I thought what Clemson did offensively against um, Alabama was interesting also from a Notre Dame perspective because I think it 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 gave me a, a further appreciation for what Clark Lee did this year because Tosh Lapoy has a lot more raw <laughs> material to work with than Clark Lee does, and he had absolutely no answer for Justin Ross and Trevor Lawrence. And, I mean, the fact that after the game – Jeff Scott, their co-offensive coordinator, said, this is a quote, we actually thought we had some better matchups this week versus a little bit younger secondary at Alabama, which is, by the way, we thought Notre Dame was better than Alabama in, in parts of the game. Um, that was one part. That, that, with- that, that really informed. I thought that Notre Dame was like the second winner on Monday night after Clemson because it, it definitely recalibrated how I felt like Notre Dame's season ended because if – I thought they were a million miles away coming out of Dallas. And then for Clemson to do to Alabama basically what they did to Notre Dame made me think that they're, they are a little bit closer or at least more securely in that, that tier below Alabama no, I think that's and Clemson opposed it. to like, 
also behind Georgia and Ohio yeah. State. Yeah, I think that's the best way so. to put it. Yeah. Defen- I mean, defensively, Notre Dame was legit. I, you know, it's like we had to, as you continue to go through the season, are they legit? They're, well, yeah, week after week after week, they proved it. Hey, it just goes to show you continuity in coaching. I mean, the Clemson has the continuity in coaching, and Alabama doesn't because guys are getting head coaching jobs all the time, and guys leave early, and, you know, as you said, the secondary is young. And no matter how much talent you have, you still have to learn how to play. Well, they replaced their – they noted before the, the game, the podcast, before the game, that they replaced their top six defensive backs. Alabama. Replace your top six defensive backs at Notre Dame and go play for the championship. Right. And so, and I understand that there's five-star talent behind them, but you still have to learn. There's still a learning curve, or in some instances, a learning curve. Especially against that quarterback. Yeah. Now, he was great. Justin Ross is absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. He was the guy on tape we were worried about in the Clemson. Fun when we reviewed Clemson. I just looked, you watch him jump over people and think that's that's yeah. a difference maker. Um, you know, I have a different view of, I didn't leave the Notre Dame game thinking, I, I don't feel the same way. I Like the 50th best thing that happened for me for Notre Dame season was that Alabama got killed by Clemson. I kind of don't. I'm more impressed by Clemson, obviously. Mm-hmm. I'm shocked that they were able to just kill Alabama. They beat Alabama worse than they beat Notre Dame, and it has nothing because... I know they would have scored more against Notre Dame in the second half if they wanted to. Oh, sure. But they would not have scored that many points in the first place with Julian Love. So those go kind of go back and forth. You just, Julian Love doesn't come out of the game. They're not up 23-3 to three at the half. That's clear. Mm-hmm. Now, clearly, they could have scored more than seven points in the second yeah, half. No, but, that's exact, so, yeah. I just thought after the Notre Dame game that Notre Dame is below Clemson and Alabama and that Notre Dame played a bad game. And that Clemson is better than Notre Dame for sure and played a good game. And I thought it was that simple. Notre Dame is not as good as Clemson and played badly. Offensively. Clemson is better than Notre Dame and played well. And that's all I took from that game. Yeah, and I don't want to – I mean, I'm probably somewhere between you two. I mean, because that's why I kept emphasizing with five minutes ago in the second half, it was second and ten at the 45, and Alizé May was nine to three. I mean, you legitimately have a chance to go in at halftime – Maybe even up by a point. Second half is completely different. Good, yeah, because Clemson approaches it very different. When they scored, it was over at the end of the half. Yeah, that there's a, there, there's no doubt. But the way Notre Dame's defense played, the way they stopped the running game, I mean, I, I was encouraged by that. But but in the aftermath of a 27 point loss, if you emphasize that, there are those that are going to say, oh, because they're pissed off because their team just got hammered, yeah. and so they don't want to hear any of that positive stuff. But that's the evaluation of the game. I think. You have to be able to replace your boundary corner and not completely collapse as a program. So that's bad. In fairness, they would not have scored that many points against with Julian Love out there. Now, look, you're going to lose a guy. He's not the quarterback. He's your boundary corner, right? It shouldn't be 30 points all of a sudden because your boundary corner comes out of the game. It was. That's also a Notre Dame problem, that they couldn't have guys ready. Now, well, you, uh, if I could interrupt him, you, you, Pete, you made the comment about they have, what, did you say, like Citrus Bowl depth? Champ Sports Champ Bowl. Champ Sports uh, Bowl depth. Yeah, they don't have Citrus Bowl. Champ Sports Bowl depth. <laughs> <laughs> Let's draw a clear line. And I, and I, and I, played, I, played in the same well, was on January I mean, I, really, I, lo- I love that line because I <laughs> yeah. think that was appropriate at, yeah. at that time. And, you know, I mean, I, Julian Love, I, and Tim, you and I were talking about this during the week. I mean, I, I don't want him to be remembered as the guy that whatever decision he made in the Cotton Bowl. I mean, that, that, that'll eventually go. He was a tremendous college football player. The last two years, and he should. And from a football standpoint, here's the way I put it: as a student athlete, I think that Julian Love would like to have stayed in Notre Dame for another year. But as a football player, it was it was the right move for him. Uh, Boykin, 
Well, we, let's first of all let's talk about Julian Love and and that decision. Um, I guess it. I was a little surprised, but it was based solely off of talking to him for two minutes at Cotton Bowl Media Day, which was like the first time I ever thought he might actually be coming back, so maybe I shouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, sometimes when you talk to them in those, like Boykin was uh, evasive after the game, which makes sense. You're not going to really want to talk about that. Love, for a whole year, this whole room thought he would leave because he had to, and then we were like, well, maybe he'll come back because of how it ended. The whole year usually wins. For nine months, we were told Miles Boykin was going pro after he graduates. Which is now. Why was he going to change? Yeah. Like that, I wrote a story in the 13th, Will They Stay or Go? Love, I just put, I don't know what Julian Love will do. Because of what you said about student-athlete and of what you said, Pete, about he's ready to go pro to yeah. play football. Yeah. I had no idea. I said, I think Love will go 50-50. Boykin told everybody in the world, and everybody told us this for months, that he is a graduating senior. He's ready to get on with his life and go. I think just there's momentum and will he yeah, stay, will he go? I think he was we, all kind of, we all kind of caught wind of, uh, maybe he maybe he's having second thoughts. But, I mean, with him, it's I'm done with school. Right, he's I've done. I've got my degree. i got my Mendoza business degree. Um, he's ready to roll. He's re- he, yeah, he's willing to, yeah, okay, if the NFL doesn't work, fine. I yes. am, I'm, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to move on from football then, too. Whereas uh, Julian loves not that, Pete, which no. is why I think you might have come back like, no, wait, right. I have to make the NFL because I'm really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, just, I mean, I, I was talking to people that knew Miles Boykin in the course of, like, November. They thought he was coming back. Right. Which was a change from, from prior. when training camp started, this is my last year, I am out of here. And then he, not maybe, he did have some second thoughts about it, but I, I don't know what happened between, like, the season ending and the bowl game ending that, like, moved him back towards I'm definitely leaving. Um, but I, that one, that was the surprise for me that, that Boykin is leaving. Not that it doesn't make sense for him to leave, not that it doesn't make sense for him to just move on and do something else, um, but I thought with, with Book back, coming back to Notre Dame, catching 85 passes... He certainly would have put himself in a better position uh, from the NFL draft perspective by returning. You know, is he going to suddenly run a 4-4? No, he's not. But I think he would have been able to sort of improve his football skill set to, a, he was to accommodate for the fact that he's not that fast. He was a much faster, stronger football player this year than last year. Yeah, which, since, since, since the big play against LSU, he was a stronger, yeah. faster football Ship player. Long said in the spring, this spring, I asked him the biggest difference between Miles Boykin, and I was waiting for the, the mental, the confidence. And yeah, all that. Yeah. He goes, well, last year he was too weak to get off press coverage. He meant, like, the LSU game. Yeah. Still at that right, point. still at that point. You don't point. think of Miles Boykin as too weak to get off press coverage, no. but it's technique and knowing how to play. I think we should start tracking something, though, Pete and Tim. When we sit there in December and talk to guys that might go pro, and you ask them about submitting their name, and when one of them says, I, I don't even know if there is a process. I don't, don't know how these things work. Like Miles Boykin when did, I, you know he might be going pro. <laughs> well, I think I he think, seemed to not know there was a professional league out there. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. we should all go under the supposition that a, a guy's in, is inclined to leave and then work from there because it's because it's it, a lot of money involved. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, but I mean, as far as like we're being held accountable for like trying to guess. Yeah, yeah I yeah. mean, ultimately, it's it's kind of a guess because we're not in the head of the person. Uh, we're doing the best we can based upon the information that's fed us, and then when we're wrong, then we don't know what we're talking about. Well, we're we're trying to like we dis- we frequently discussed co- staying or going with these guys because that's what people wanted to talk about. So we tried to get information on that. Um, if they don't know what they're wrong, if they don't know what they're doing, 
we can't know what they're doing. Right. That's that's probably a good thing to remember the next time you hear us talking about that. Like we're trying to figure out where they're leaning right now, but it's just right now. Or if they don't want us to know what they're doing, and they that... don't know what pro league exists, when yeah. they, yeah. them. they have no <laughs> clue that there's another yeah. level of football that awaits right. them. All right. Well, Okwara and Kareem are coming back, and that's that's huge it's news. The most important. For it, it's. It's it's very you know it you're right it is the most important it, it, I, I don't I don't like to rank those kind of things because they're they're separate one has nothing to do with the other but I, it's but the Notre Dame at defensive end next year is yes. really really good really good right on down to you know I mean Jameer Jones is your fifth or sixth guy and I think Chip Long would prefer Khalid Kareem and Julian Aquara come back than Miles Boykin so I think that makes them higher. <laughs> That's a fun way to put it. I think that makes well, them higher on the pecking order. Since yeah. you brought that up, I just I'm I'm going to throw this out there. St. Brown left the year before. <laughs> Boykin is leaving now. It's it's not easy playing for Chip Long. It's not. It's it's hard. It's you you he's tough on his players. He's tough on his receivers. Do you think that played a role? Mm, maybe. Um I, I think know. it did with EQ. I don't know if it did with, I think Boy, I just no, don't I think, think Boykin was leaving. I mean yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe that's part of the reason, though. That oh, maybe that's Boykin part. Of, was, oh, no, you're right. That's yeah, totally possible. That's yeah, point. I don't know. I don't know if that played a part at all. But I, I mean, I know when St. Brown left, the vibe around Notre Dame was like, "Fine, true, go for it." I think with Boykin, there's a little more like, "You're leaving, um, senior that, leader type guy." They, would, they they needed that personality back. They probably needed that skill set back too. I mean, the receiver position has some. Interesting guys in the freshman to be sophomore class, but none of them have done anything. And now they're going to be. They're, you're really hoping f- that Kevin Austin can have a Will Fuller minus twenty percent. Right, Fuller was amazing sophomore, sophomore season. Yeah. Um, you you really need a breakout performance in that him, position. You need him to have Claypool's recently completed season. Yeah, that'd be that, fine too. Good. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fine too. Uh, we'll talk more about Boykin. We have a question in, in the second segment. But uh, I did want to, uh, real quickly, Autry Denson. We have a bunch of questions on Autry Denson. But he is, uh, um, Charlton Southern, Is he's right there. He's probably going to get it from what I've heard, uh, what we've heard, I guess from what everybody's heard at this point. Um, Even websites I've never heard of. They've heard it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, them too. And, and uh, yeah, well, we have we have... We have ways of confirming things too. Um, yeah, but uh, um, and I, I, I probably shouldn't bring. I should just wait for a second segment because I don't want to say too much because we have specific questions about that. But we'll deal with that in the second segment. And lastly, uh, I don't know if you guys saw Kyle Hamilton in the in the All American Bowl. I saw some clips put together yesterday. Um, and maybe I'm maybe I'm out there on this, but I think that's your Nickelback. I think he could. He certainly can defend. He can defend tight ends. I think his change of direction and his length and quickness, you know, look, everybody, every nickel, especially a nickel that's a safety, is going to have a hard time with a small slot sure. speed receiver. That, that's that's why there's so much offense in, in college football. But I think that kid, that, I mean, just his skill set says that he needs to be on the field next year, like right away. Now, in a man-free situation back there, I thought he made some bad decisions and didn't get over and help his corner. But as a as a nickel, as a guy that can match up against a slot receiver, I mean, Pete, you saw him. You know, I mean, you didn't see, you didn't necessarily see that game, but you know what we're dealing with here. He's a 
He's oh, yeah. a pretty spectacular athlete. Yeah, it's, it was it was funny. Um, <laughs> at the Cotton Bowl, I was down on the field. I knew Hamilton was there, so I was going to go over and say hey to him, his dad. And who did I run into, like, l- 10 yards from where I see Hamilton sitting? David Bruton passes in front of me. And I think, like, those two body types are real similar. Uh, but Hamilton is, I think, much more twitchy than Bruton I ever agree. was. Yeah. Um, so if you can have the Bruton body type but more of like a fast-twitch athlete and put him on the nickel at 6'3", but a 6'5 wingspan. Um, I think you, you can break up a lot of passes the same way that Isaiah Simmons broke up that pass going to my uh, yeah, Well, I think, it, that's a, I think that's a good comparison. <clears throat> he, the East squad, the coaching staff, used Kyle Hamilton as a weapon in that game. He, he, they, they moved him around. He was a weapon for in an all-star game. I also think you should look at it this way if you're a fan or Notre Dame's coaching staff. Will he be perfect at nickel as a freshman against a really cagey slot receiver that's quicker than him? No, but you know who else won't be? The nickel you put in there. Right. The other nickel you put in there, because yeah. that's just hard to do. I mean, so unless it's like in, Sean Crawford. Totally healthy Sean Crawford can play nickel, then Sean Crawford's the nickel. But... Maybe Sean Crawford just has to play cornerback this year. That's what I was going to – I, I know, wrote but, about that today. I mean, maybe – yeah, maybe. Now, well, we'll get into Houston Griffith, but he might – he, he could, could too, be a bomb but, camp. We'll get, we'll get into that in the second segment. Uh, when you, we, can, you can use two. We take our questions. You can do that, yes. Do you maybe, need a third corner? Maybe <laughs> – oh, what could possibly happen to the cop? <laughs> What's ball? the point of having a backup corner at all? I mean, there's only starters. All right, we'll get, uh, we'll get into our readers' uh, questions here in segment two. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, Irish Illustrated listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code IRISH today. That's promo code I-R-I-S-H for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. Irish Illustrated listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code IRISH today. That's promo code I-R-I-S-H for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. I'm going to bunch three questions together here. They're all about Autry Denson. First one from at Woo Rick Flair. If Denson leaves, what are some names you're hearing on this replacement? From W.G. Pennington, would Tony Alford be a consideration if Denson leaves? And then from B-Man underscore 2017, how concerned would you be if Denson left for a head coaching position after his running backs have played very well? Let's start with, um, I mean, as far as some of the names that we're hearing as a replacement, I'm not sure that we have a clear-cut name there. No, um, I mean, I'll, I'll like it, all I feel like I have 
comfortable saying is that like it would be a power five running backs coach and Notre Dame would move pretty quickly on it. Like it, that's what no, you tweeted. Yes. Yeah. Unless, like Notre Dame is not going to get if Denson leaves. It's not going to be a situation where they're like, oh god, who who should we hire? Like we have to interview these four candidates and have the running backs meet with them. Like, they they have and they have. Yeah. A, this is something they're prepared for. Unless. Pete, though, uh, that is the other guy, right? He is also a power five running back. Yes, but that's also Tony our, Alford. Yeah, our second yeah. question. You're not insinuating Tony, Alford, Tony Alford. No, I'm not insinuating it's going to be yeah. Tony Alford. I think that if Notre Dame went to Tony Alford and said, all right, uh, co-offense coordinator and money. you can make a little bit more money, he would come here. You know, it's a transition. The timing is right with Ohio State. It would also require Brian Kelly to swallow really hard on the fact that Alford left. And the fact that he's not a coordinator. I mean, I, 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 get, I get it. Yeah. I, I, I get the need to do that, but Tony Alford's not a coordinator. Yeah, that's why I'd be a co-coordinator. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> he wouldn't call plays. That's what I meant. Yeah. But regardless of what you... Yeah. No, I know what you're saying. It's like, look, if... And I would think that if, if Brian Kelly could get to a point where he would just, like, bury the hatchet on Tony Alford, I'm not... I'd probably, he probably cannot get there. I, that's how I feel he won't get there. But... Coming out of the Clemson game, what is what is one of the biggest lessons the head coach should have come away from that game with was we don't have enough players, so you need to hire a coach who can recruit and get you more players to get you. I don't know, um, Dexter Williams, Tavon Coney, and there and the guy who got those guys for you is could be got as a as a co coordinator to, to come on. So he, that's. He's the assistant head coach at Ohio State right now. I just checked. And running backs coach. That ding you heard was that. Oh, Let me find okay. that out. Yeah. Uh, well, and Norde Mari has an assistant yeah. head coach in yeah. Mike Elston. But I do think people would love it if Tony Alford came back. I think the running backs room would immediately be upgraded. Well, not immediately. In a year and a half, be upgraded in his talent level. Well, you have to. I mean, and Denson's, you know, look, we we put blame and credit out there. His running backs have, have played well, and they have fumbled in 40 games for crying Yeah, his, uh, Josh Adams, lost a fumble. Josh Adams, Dexter Williams, um, ended up being excellent, both recruited by Alford. Jafar Armstrong's uh, Jafar come a Armstrong's long way in a short along. period of time. Deion McIntosh now was a function of that line, but Deion McIntosh was better than anybody preseason would have given Deion McIntosh credit for in his Richards, yes. obviously transferring over from. Wide re- running back to wide receiver sure. to running back. He certainly did better there. Um, yeah, McIntosh, by the way, with about uh, 1,300 yards at East Mississippi, whatever, <sighs> Juco. But I don't think he has an offer. Mm. Interesting, huh? As of mid-December, he didn't have an offer. Wow. With 16 touchdowns and all those. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, I mean, are you concerned if Denson left for a head coaching position, the results at running back have been tremendous, even if recruiting has been average? I, I mean, one, I wouldn't say recruiting has been average, but I do think the results at running backs have been really, really good. Yeah. I think Denson as a position coach is excellent. I think um, a very good job in that role. I think there are many excellent position coaches at the running back position. Notre Dame needs to have an excellent position coach and an excellent recruiter at running back, and right now I think they just have a excellent position coach. KB Easily. Why does the re, uh, recency bias seem to apply to Notre Dame? Bama lost to Clemson by more than ND did. That was a point. Um, Oklahoma got clobbered. <laughs> uh, he didn't write that. I yeah, just I know, yeah. <laughs> Could you tell? We yeah. can tell yeah, with yeah, the okay, interjection. Yeah, okay. yeah. Oklahoma got clobbered as well. Yeah, Notre Dame dropped to number five in AP poll. Notre Dame lost one game to the national champion. Finishes behind two loss Oklahoma and one loss Ohio State that lost by 29 to a seven-loss Purdue team. One, I don't really care uh, if you're fifth or third after the season. But 
apparently with the AP poll, they encouraged you to vote before the championship game. Yeah. How much did the championship game inform your opinion of like how good Notre Dame is or is not? I think from a national perspective, probably a lot. So if your last impression was like, they got ripped by Clemson and Alabama's probably going to be Clemson too. That would make me feel what? differently. Than the like, AP voters yeah, were encouraged uh, to uh, vote before the national championship Eric, game? Eric yeah. Hansen, actually, tweeted, yeah. as an AP voter, actually tweeted out, he did not put his ballot in ahead of time, but he said they were encouraged to get it in. I don't know what the rush that was, is, that's, that was, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a timing issue, but sure. that's ridiculous. Well, that's, I mean, they wanted to come out the very next morning and the game ends at, like, that's midnight. That's fine. We, uh, there's a lot of things we want to be able to do, but you can't do it before the damn national championship yeah. game's played. I'm with Pete that I don't care if you're three or five. I agree with I that. I will explain. I will say one thing, though. I did a quick look at this because I had a feeling. When Ohio State moved up to three, name the last number three ranked team to not win their bowl game. At the end of the season. I don't know who that is. All right. Well, the last one went 12-0 and didn't play in a bowl game, Ohio State, okay. in 2012. Okay. However, these are the results of the number three team every year. One Rose Bowl, one Sugar Bowl, one Rose Bowl, one Rose Bowl, one Peach Bowl, which is a major six game. Sure. One Rose Bowl, Ohio State undefeated. One Fiesta Bowl, lost national championship. That was Oregon. One Sugar Bowl, one Rose Bowl, one Rose Bowl, one Sugar Bowl, one Orange Bowl, lost national championship, lost national championship. So you got to win. You got to win your ball. One, 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 lost championship. One, 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 lost championship. Yeah. So there's a bit of a pattern here yeah, <laughs> that right. you have to do that. Yeah, and it's not Notre Dame. I mean, it's not Notre Dame bias. No. It's got to be. And guess what? Notre Dame's in there once. Won the Cotton Bowl, 1992. So see, yeah. everybody loves it. All right. Well, that's, so. a, that's a great stat, and I'm glad you brought that to our attention. Matty Hebs, 14. Other schools were after some of Notre Dame's coaching staff. This offseason, Clemson has had their top coaches in place for years. Should Notre Dame look to do the same and lock in uh, Chip Long and Clark Lee with more money in their contracts and possibly adding buyouts? Um, sure. I, you know, it's there's. I've always felt like if you're Notre Dame, you need to, one, make Notre Dame a really good place to work, which I think that Brian Kelly has actually done a, a really nice job with this. I think it's kind of an underrated part of his uh, – his skill set as a CEO. Um, you need to pay your coaches enough that, like, Chip Long leaving for Troy or Clark Lee leaving for a Mac, a Mac school yeah. um, doesn't make sense until they're just to the point where they really want to be a head coach. Like, I think Mike Elston would leave and take a pay cut if he could have got the job at Bowling Green in the same way that Chuck Martin left took a pay cut to be the head coach of Miami, Ohio. At some point, just your ambition and your career goals are the most important thing. That That's something Notre Dame cannot do anything about because it's human nature. But all that other stuff, good working environment, family-friendly, good pay. I mean, I don't think the buyout has a whole lot to do with it. Just make sure your coordinators are well compensated. Look, Tennessee just hired Georgia's offense coordinator on a three-year deal worth $1.5 million per year which is insane, but there's no reason Clark Lee and Chip Long shouldn't be making 1-1, after last season. It's like Notre Dame is in a, a real healthy spot with their coordinators right now, so that you should continue to invest in that and those resources to, to stay that way. This is where I think it's changed the most since, Tim, when you covered them when they were great. Uh, I agree, Pete, you need to keep the head, the main guys, the Elstons, 
long lead the leadership positions intact yes. in Notre Dame nowadays. Lou Holtz went through assistant coordinator. I mean, assistants and coordinators like it was he averaged, changing underwear. So there he was averaged no... three changes a year. Yeah. Now some of those during you know during the eighty eight through ninety three, those guys are getting head coaching jobs and stuff. Yeah. But he averaged three changes per year during his tenure in Notre Dame. But they had Clemson and Alabama dudes. Yeah, team. that they did. Yeah, Nick you Saban's know, just fine with these, I mean, these I, coordinator <laughs> changes. You know, Brent Venables. I, I, I mean, does he want to be a head coach? Is he capable of being a head coach? His he son's there just, now, so that's he might be a bit. just spontaneously combust if he were a head coach. So I don't know. He's making two million dollars a year, and his son's on the team. What's better than that? <laughs> and they win. And he has an awesome <laughs> boss. Yeah, like, yeah. I think it's the, the working environment. I don't. I don't know. Too. You know. I mean, Chip Long wants to be a head coach, and I'm sure Clark Lee oh, does. Sure. Yeah. I'm not sure where Brent Venables is on all of that, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure whether he his personality would allow for it. You know? I yeah, mean, no, I agree with you. <laughs> uh, again, I can't speak for their offensive coordinators. But, uh, yeah, I mean, w- will they get – will Lee and Long get uh, pay raises after last year? Well, if you go to our board, Chip Long's terrible. But um, <laughs> I'm sure they will – I'm sure they will. Uh, I'm sure they'll get a bump in pay. Denver Maximus. Last year, after the bowl win against LSU, the team, program, and players were riding high and used that win as a springboard this season. The rallying cry was to be better in November. What approach do you see Notre Dame using this offseason, and what will be done to finally close the gap? EK says, We are close after Clemson, are we? Well, they just made the. I mean, who's close to Alabama and Clemson? I don't know that it's fair to, at this particular juncture to yeah you know measure it that I, I don't way. think I, they're close to those two in that I don't think they would have won could have won both games with love playing and book playing let's say book played a game the way he played against USC to be fair can't give book his best game he's playing Clemson's defense he can't be like well if book played like he did against Stanford or Wake that's not possible let's say he played his uh his USC game where it wasn't great it was pretty good yeah. by the end you know yeah. maybe his second Pitt was his second worst game. USC would be his third. That's reasonable. I don't think they could have gone through Clemson and Alabama. So how close are they? Yeah, but but you got to be two of them. They they have closed the. In, oh, I mean, they've closed the gap tremendously. Certainly, I, I'm not like I don't get the 2012 comparison thing. That's a different era. That's it's nothing over. to do with it. Yeah, that, they, that's just that's over. I, I think it's hard to win these, these these two games unless you draw. I don't know who you draw that you can. Guarantee, not guarantee, but really think Notre Dame wins the first game, right? Oklahoma, what if they played Oklahoma? I mean, they could have beaten Oklahoma, but you have a you got some stuff to deal with when you play Oklahoma, don't so you? You're, <laughs> you're saying playoff expansion where you have to play Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama three straight weeks would playoff expansion. And, and speaking of that, by the way, me. they were they were having difficulty selling tickets to the national championship game, and that's a byproduct of. You know, back in the old days, it was oh hey, you know, let's take the family to the bowl game. Well, then after right. you win that, you got another one to go to, and you can't. Most people can't do that. Um, Pete, remember the podcast? <laughs> we were like, you know, if they lose, at least we're not traveling next week. For the first time ever on Friday, when I realized I'd be flying out, I was like, wow, I kind of wish I was covering Notre Dame in this game, but I wish it was in South Bend because I was tired, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But our perspective, if, oh, like, if Notre Dame yeah. beats Clemson, yeah. our perspective <laughs> would have been, been a little different, but a whole lot different. I, uh, look, I the gap with Clemson and Alabama is real. All Notre Dame can do is keep climbing to try to try to get there. Um, I I'm curious. I'll put this to you guys. I'm curious what you think about it. What will the perspective be throughout the season and then when it ends if Notre Dame goes 10-2 and two next year 
doesn't make the playoff. And then beats, uh, let's say they beat Texas in the Orange Bowl to finish 11-2. and two. I want to insert, because you're asking a question that actually one of our subscribers wanted to ask, kind of like that. Dashing Domer yes. said, is the all-or-nothing fan approach, right? Is the all-or-nothing approach to college football healthy? In other words, I actually retweeted somebody that said something like, Pete, like, you know, you don't have to start talking about who's in on September 14th. Like, college football is supposed to be fun for teams to go... John Walters tweeted something out. If you think that this game, Monday night, is missing the atmosphere of Oxford or Athens or Columbus or South Bend, you're right. Mm -hmm. Because college football is great for the 12 weeks. And the all-or-nothing thing is, what if Notre Dame goes 10-2 and next year and does what Pete said? That should be a good year. That, well, those the reasonable, reasonable minds will say that was a really good year because that means you either beat Michigan on the road, Georgia on the road, or Stanford on the road. And probably, let them, and probably protected your home field right. again. But we all know that reason is thrown out the door when you get to the Final Four, and so anything less than the Final Four will be deemed a failure by... Those that can't enjoy the journey. So Pete, ten and two, and they win their bowl game against a good team would be. I, I think would be great as a Notre Dame alum and backer. And I would fan of football. Yeah, I think if you're Notre Dame and that was offered to you, you would take it. Like, and I, I think that more, more of the fan base <laughs> would take it after they thought about it than maybe would admit it right now. I just, I agree with it. It's like the all or nothing thing is stupid. Um, it doesn't make any sense to like you the world that way. No, that's, yeah. It's it, like, it, look, college football, and I'm stealing this from another podcast I listen to called The Solid Verbal, but, like, one of the hosts says, like, look, college football is a TV show. And maybe you didn't like the finale. That doesn't mean you, like, hated the entire show, right? Like, I lost. Yeah. So, yeah. Did, do you, did you not like the Michigan game as much because of the Clemson game? That that makes no sense. But think about how, you know, it's like, also, for example, Chip Long's offense is bad. <laughs> After the Cotton Bowl, so everything—I right. mean, everything is forgotten. I yeah, mean, that's yeah. the opinion. Everything is forgotten. You don't, and that's why you know, like players and coaches, they'll look back at this season and say, "Man, that was that was special," because you understand the journey and you enjoy the journey, especially this team with the whole you know live in the moment idea, which they they embraced, and that's why they were twelve and zero. Yeah, but you know, you, I, I mean, you can't. So the whole journey is forgotten because you didn't play as well as you wanted to in the combo. I mean, I, under, I get the frustration of not winning, quote, the big game, which Notre Dame hasn't done in a long time. But it doesn't change the great season that they had. No, it, it there's a reason. It puts a damper on how you felt that I mean, at the end. You're like, ah, oh, I just wanted Notre Dame to play well in that game. I thought Clemson was the better team going in. We all did. And I thought, I really want to see Notre Dame play well. Like, show up, play as well as you can. Probably won't win unless everything goes their way and some guy, like let's say Ian Book, was just awesome. You know, better yeah. than better than as good as he'd ever been against that defense. But I just didn't think they played well, so that's the damper for me that they didn't play their best football in the most I important was game. I the minutes in the first half because I just wanted them to get if you could just yeah, get to nine to three get, right yes. if you can get to halftime still in yeah. it and feeling good about yourself. So that's the only damper. Now the one thing I will say with the all or nothing. I really enjoy see this is like growing up. I really enjoy seasons where there's a good start because you feel like uh the end of September at four and oh, you want to be in the conversation. You want to be in the in conversations in the November. So you know if you happen to lose in November, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's not fun. There's not that many years they did this, but where like if you're gonna lose two games, 
it is better to lose your last one in November because then it's fun for more time. No, Does that make true. sense? Like no, that, absolutely. Not as a coach, it's probably no, not. Absolutely. But you lose to Georgia. You don't want to lose to Georgia in like week five, right? You, That's, you don't want 2013 where you have your second loss by the end of September. You want you want to unfortunately have a reason to watch the first playoff ranking show on ESPN right. yeah. like on 20, Halloween weekend. We're like, God, why am I watching this again? Like 2014, when you just lose all the games after yeah. the playoff rankings come on. No, yeah. but there's something about a good start in college football yeah, because you want to be involved. Yeah, in the race. I mean, you don't. You, yeah, well, I mean, one loss is you, yeah. anything more than that. It's it's very frustrating after that. Skunkle asks, Do you see Houston Griffith having a shot at cornerback this spring, or does he stay in the nickel safety role? I Talked to him down at the Cotton Bowl, and he said that he can play all three positions, safety, corner, and nickel. I'm not sure I agree with that. Um, I think he's a safety, maybe a nickel, but I don't see him as a corner. I think because of Love's departure, and I just now found Julian, Julian, Dante Vaughn's having a shoulder surgery, which would shelf him, I assume, for the spring, labrum. Yes. Uh, Yeah, so that's going to shelf him for a long time. I think by necessity... They might have him at corner all spring to see if he can do it. Because um, remember, Crawford won't be full strength. In the, they should not let Sean Crawford take contact in the spring. So they're going to need a corner. They're going to need guys auditioning there that aren't just the freshmen to get with pride. And your guy, Kyle Hamilton, is a great backup safety candidate next year, along with someone mm-hmm. like Derek Allen, who gets yeah. a restart of his career and I mean, stuff. So I, I just think by slotting players, you could slot him at corner in the spring. Yeah, I that's think, a good point. I mean, I, and from a measurable standpoint, I think that he he is a pretty good fit for boundary corner. He's bigger than I thought. I did interview yeah. him too down there. He was I mean, he was much taller than I was. I yeah. didn't think he's listed as that. But well, I mean, but what? So what other options? I mean, Noah Boykin's kind of a the best of both worlds in in terms of length and. The ability to play the ball, I think he can play either side. You know, I don't know where he is development wise. But his but, redshirt was off the field, like they planned on it. Just the adjustment period to, to Notre right. Dame school. And yeah, they just and, felt like he yeah. needed it. Yeah. So yeah, it's a possibility. We'll see that. That which leads us right into our next question, which from Doc Irish, which is what position group or group should be watched most closely this spring? Boundary corner. Yeah, is let's, certainly one. Let's say Boykin. All right, for the sake of all right, well, Crawford doesn't take reps for real, so. Who was and Vaughn's not taking reps, and he braces a field. DJ Brown, DJ Brown, guy at six one, a little Griff, bit more size. I think Griffith takes reps at corner. He may, yeah. I mean, it may. The situation may just dictate it, um, especially if you're if they really like Kyle Hamilton as much as I do, which I think they do. Uh, you know, with knowing he's coming Who in, would be the safety with Allen. Because you assume Stud still is taking a grad transfer. Cortita's uh, gone. gone. Moala. Yeah, Moala. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I would think. Yeah. Uh, as far as other position groups, certainly linebacker, we want, you know, I mean, uh, I've done a couple stories here. I did a story on uh, Jim Markeith. I did a story on Jack Lamb yesterday. I mean, those are wide open. That I mean, the whole, the entire linebacker, are they going to move uh, Bilal from Rover back inside? Uh, that, the whole linebacker core is, is a, a, a topic of interest throughout the spring. Yeah, I, the linebacker positions, I think, are probably the most interesting because you, you've got sort of your, your guts ripped out a little bit there with Coney and Tranquil departing. And I have, this is one of my huge concerns about next year's defense is this is sort of like the after effect of Brian Van Gorder coming home. Cause like what you weren't doing in recruiting three years ago is now your junior class, which is supposed to be driving your team to wherever you're going to go. The junior class is a little bit light. Um, so it's a, uh, 
there's going to be a they they really need to trot out a lot of freshmen and sophomores based on the the recruiting of the last two cycles to see what they got and like Jack Lance, Shane Simon, like um, Bo Bauer. And oh yeah, Obi Agufu. I guess like you know if you if your scout team defensive player there, it means you did something right. Yeah. Right, you, you turned right. some heads. Um, Was like, he playing? Did he he play Buck and uh, Rover? I, yeah, I'm not really sure yeah, what his. I, I don't wonder. Sure they were all scout. I mean, if your scout team, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. You're, you're you're whatever. Right. Um, but I. Those those positions are really interesting to me, and then I want to see like Phil Dracovic click. Okay, let's see what you got, man. Um, yes, just like in a backup capacity, you know, when we go out to practices, I mean, we the the scrimmage format is the same as it's always been. Book will get about sixty percent of the reps. Dracovic will get thirty, and then somebody else. I don't I don't really know who would get the the final ten. Maybe Dracovic will get forty, but. Last year, I cannot remember seeing him take one rep with the team, um, aside from like sort of a JV type of practice. So yeah. I want to I want to see him with um, Julian Aquara coming at him. I want to see him try to throw over uh, Alohi Gilman. Like I want to see that kind of stuff. I think uh, with linebackers, we we almost every spring and summer we project from some stuff we know and what we talk to people. We would be guessing right now at linebacker. What, how often are you guessing who Notre Dame's starters will be at, at a position group, a whole group? That, it's a full guess. No, I mean that, that just I mean it's crazy. Coney, yeah, I mean Coney and Frank yeah. will just they got we, they got one hundred five percent of the reps. We all, we all think Simon is going to be in there, but we don't know the position for sure. Yeah. We all think Lamb will be good someday. We don't know if it'll be next year. We think Jordan Jenmark Heath's a great kid to talk to, and he needed two years. But what if he gets passed? And last year we thought John Jones was clearly going to be a backup, right? Couldn't get, the, couldn't get on the field. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird, weird situation with the linebackers, and I'm sure Clark Lee is better positioned to figure it out than us. But uh, cornerback, I really want to watch because losing Love, and now it's just a super, it's a huge difference between Julian Love and whoever at this point. Yeah. Terry Benedict, when Brian, uh, Terry Benedict asks, when Brian Kelly speaks about opponents, he talks about, quote, game wreckers on, his, on the opposing team. Who is Notre Dame's game wrecker next season? Julian Aquara. Well, I was going to say if you don't, if 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 O'Malley yeah. doesn't blurt out yeah, Julian Aquara, he is the game. Surprised. He is the game record. I know that's not the question though. But uh, Julian Aquara, Khalid Kareem are the game records. Um, that's you can't anoint a single offensive player game record. No, I think to some extent. I mean, Alohi Gilman is yeah, that type of player. At, uh, he certainly was at times against Clemson and throughout the season. Uh, game wrecker on offense would generally mean a breakaway guy. It have and to be not, Kevin Austin, but it's not yet. So, uh, you know, can can Chase Claypool take his game? If Chase Claypool can take his game up another level, the way he did between sophomore and junior, and then we're talking about a pretty special player. But I'm not sure that he has that kind of ceiling. What about? Let's put it this way: One year ago, I had Kevin Austin as the number one recruit. I'm sure you guys had him in the top two or three, right, for the coming in. Uh, I think I had him one. Pete, you probably had him two, one or two, or right? Two. Austin? Austin, yeah. Um, the class, the whatever class. we had him right up yeah. anyway. So Hi. if we did before any news came with Kevin Austin and the two games he was left home and not playing a lot, if you just said one year ago, hey, in two years can Kevin Austin be a eight hundred yard, one thousand yard receiver at Notre Dame? I think we all would have said yes. 
And the reason we're not saying immediately now is because he was left home for Syracuse and USC, and he was targeted ten times. No, but they sure need him to to, to they be need him to in be, that range. That's maybe mm-hmm. you know it's odd that he was targeted ten times um, on a season. And that's all it was was ten. Yeah. He and he had six catches, he had five, five or six, six, five catches. Yeah. His last catch was Navy. Uh, he was targeted five times against Navy. So yeah, I think, and Pete, you can speak to this too. I mean, I think that the Notre Dame camp. They still feel very, very good about Kevin Austin. Yeah, despite and that's, what that's happened. why I bring that up. Yeah. A year ago, we would have thought Kevin Austin, two years from now, yeah. game wrecker. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, they're still optimistic about where Kevin Austin's going. Like, this isn't this isn't like a Stefferson-Dexter-Williams no, situation no, where you're like, oh, this guy's not really getting with the program. Um, just a he kid. played in the bowl. So, I mean, they, yeah. they don't, that would have been a bad sign. Can Lawrence, real bad. Can yeah. Lawrence Keys be a game wrecker? Maybe not as a rookie, right? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't think. But I mean, look, this—I understand the, the question, but to to answer, to even like really discuss it on the offensive side of the ball feels like irresponsible to me. Um, this is like <laughs> like this linebacker. Is like, this is like <laughs> on signing day when you're like, who's the first round pick in this class? Yeah. Like, yeah. Do, do something first. Yeah, but well, yeah, we got a little bit more to go. I mean, I think I I, I don't know that. I mean, let's just dump the the game record phrase yeah. here, and it's a good question. I, I get it. I, I think Jafar Armstrong is going to be a very good college running back. Now, is he a game wrecker or a breakaway threat the way Dexter Williams is? I don't think so. But I think he's going to be a very – I think you're going to feel good about give the ball – if he can stay healthy, give the ball to him 15, 15 times a game, and you're going to look forward to those – Yeah, he loves some long handoffs. runs too. You know what's interesting about Dexter? All the guys before him that had long runs, like, I mean, Josh Adams had – the most, but yeah. he had the biggest holes for his – like C.J. Procise had huge, yeah. huge runs – I just think of Dexter Williams as the fastest and most biggest game wrecker of all those guys. And he had fewer yards. <laughs> he just looked, when he turned the corner, you're like, yeah, there he goes. It was something about his ability. Yeah. The, the first play against Clemson is a two-yard loss with Josh Adams. Dexter Williams runs for basically a first down. Like, yeah. He yeah, had, it was he good. Some it's, I mean, it's a shame that we only got, it was just a glimpse of Dexter Williams and two how good he can be. Uh, at Sarge 103, is Trevor ruling the answer at center in 2019? How much better can the O-line be next year? Mm, I mean, I think Trevor ruling will be the answer at the beginning of the season in 2019. Um, <laughs> and he might be the answer at the end of the season. The, I mean, as far as, like, the offensive line getting better overall, I better? But I I don't I don't know how to, like, assess what that means. I just think they can better, but I don't know why. I don't know how. You don't know what, what level that like is. How, is that yeah, when you yeah. say, like, if you said, like, at the end of the – it's not like receiver if it's, like, catches or yards. Like, what's – how is the offensive line better? I don't I don't know. I just think that they probably will be. I think four returning starters could should all get better at football as senior, senior, junior, junior. Most – a couple of them two- and three-year starters. Yeah. Uh, Ruland is a new center, but he's played football, and his center's is a better position. As long as he doesn't get hurt again because he has had – he has torn pectoral muscles twice, so he can't – yeah. Do that. He can't get hurt again, otherwise he's in trouble. The thing with Zeke Carell, um, like Jeff Fain, redshirted, Nick Martin, redshirted, moved, Braxton Cave, redshirted, Sam Mustafer, I know he's not Zeke Carell's level coming in, he had never played center, but he redshirted. It's hard to say that guy's going to start at center at any point in, I, I, in his freshman year. So. I mean, it just doesn't, mm-hmm. it's, so, it's so rare that, yeah. I mean, how many, uh, how many true freshmen were starting on Power 5? Offensive lines this year. Didn't we hear that stat early in the year, or, or, or like from the previous year when Hainsey was when Hainsey was doing it was yeah. starting? I mean, it's very rare. Zeke Corral. I mean, I I agree. I I, I 
Trevor Rulin is Nardi's best center by far, right at this moment. At this moment, yeah, and he's a twenty. He'll be a twenty-two-year-old, twenty-three-year-old, fifth-year player that has started multiple games. Now he's at his at the proper position, and he has four guys that should get better around him. I think Trevor Rulin can be a pretty good yeah. fifth-year senior center. Now you're not necessarily going to run behind his his power per se, but. I, you know, I like the he plays with a wide base. I think he play he plays wide, uh, which is which is beneficial. I guarantee you, fans want Trevor Rulin replaced more than Notre Dame's coaching staff does at center. Yeah, I mean, I, I oh, think yeah. that even after the 2017 season, they were really high on Trevor yeah. Rulin. Like that, I remember talking to Chip Long at the hotel at the there was like a media day down there, and he's like. Trevor Rulin is one of our like savviest offensive linemen. He just sort of like gets how it all fits together. Which is together. why they were with that with the whole idea of playing him at guard too. They like yeah. they, you know let's give him a chance to see if he can win right you know, one yeah. of these spots because yeah. they knew he wasn't going to start over Sam at center. That was I also I want to throw this in about Rulin because I talked to him in whenever he was playing because I was in late October. He said that um, before his second. Surgery on the torn pec, which was last spring. Mm-hmm. He was as strong as anybody other than Quentin Nelson. He was as strong as anybody else on the team. Like, his numbers were all the way up there. And he said, so one year later, he just got back to where he was. Everybody else Right, going. so if he can have and a real he healthy eight months here, that he's really going to be, yeah. yeah. At Greg2126, it was Tavon Coney in 2017 and Dexter Williams and Ian Book in 2018 as surprises to the staff. What player do you think the staff and perhaps you guys are down on that can make similar leaps in 2019? Mm. Good That's an interesting question. I would... Well, Dexter, we were down on him that he might not play enough. Yeah. That's... I mean, I, I think we should put Alohi Gilman with Dexter Williams and Ian Book. Yeah. He surprises was... this season. True. We kept saying at this point last year we'd like to see him actually make a play, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, he made some. Yeah, cool. I mean, I think any number of linebackers could fall into this category. I, I too, like you, you mentioned... You know, he's a good interview. I guess I kind of gravitate <laughs> yeah. to Jen Markeith because yeah, I he think is that a he's smart a smart kid. I mean, yeah, it's smart. That's yeah. it's not that he's a that he's a good interview. It's that he's a smart, introspective, thoughtful person, and I and I, you know, I think he's growing into his body. And I'd like to think that he's a guy that that uh, that will emerge. Although that again, it depends on Bilal and what they do if they want to move him inside. Uh, you know, who's going to play Mike? I mean, I think the That's Mike the linebacker is the. You know, as much as they like Bo Bauer. Is that important? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just right in the middle. It's fine. <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, it's just, I think the whole, the entire linebacking core is is going to be fascinating. You could add Jalen Elliott to this from last year. That's no, why they're going to go 12 oh, and 0. You absolutely. could add the whole team. Yeah. The same thing as um, yeah. There was one question we didn't. We, we I, need a guy, though, to say. We didn't say a guy. <laughs> well, I said uh, Jen Marquise yeah. is, uh, uh, that I think. What about Young? Hmm. Well, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't say, I'm, yeah, he'd be a good candidate. I wouldn't We'd, say it with any confidence. Right, well, but, yeah, we're not confident about him right now. <laughs> we can't be I, confident about them for the answer. <laughs> it's a, talking to people around Notre Dame, I think Michael Young is is the choice here. That a year from now, I'm like, wow, great season. That was a real surprise. I think he's he's probably the guy who can make the biggest But where jump. does he play? Who does he play instead of? I think he could play... Where Boykin was, I does Claypool? He, he, he could play, play the X and Claypool he, move the W. He was, he was the X he, this I, year. He was the X this year. Yeah, I guess he started you know, as a yeah, slot. Yeah, yeah, you're right. right you're yeah. right. You're right. Yeah. There's look. There are <laughs> there are plenty of opportunities in Oregon's receiving core right now uh, to make plays. I think Michael Young is probably a good a good pick here. And then you know, if you were to way off the radar. You mentioned DJ Brown earlier. If, if DJ Brown had a surprise season, I think that would be a 
Well, no, Noah Boykin's the most talented. But we all far. like that's him. Who you would like. We all yeah, like that but I mean, guy. You know, well, no, true. Yeah. But really, any of those three freshman right. corners, if they had if they had great sophomore seasons, I think we'd be like, wow, God, that was that was impressive. Because like even look what Tariq Bracey did against Pittsburgh for a quarter was pretty good, but that was it. I mean. He got a DMP in the Cotton Bowl when they lost and a corner. was real bad against USC. So a bounce back season from him. I I think yeah I'll go young young and Braceal too because young I think just like the coaches are like there's a lot there that needs to needs to happen but they they like the material and Bracey I think it was it was always put him in the weight room for a year see where he can get physically. He hasn't really had a chance to do any of that because you're trying to play football I'm at surprised the same time. He, I, That's big. I'm surprised he played as much as he did, other than the fact that having watched his high school film, it's like, man, this dude can play the ball. I just didn't think that he would, you know, his strength, they just wouldn't put him on the field, but they had to. Yeah, The young thing for me is kind of like go back in time, the Austin thing I just brought up. <laughs> One year ago, we were all in love with Kevin Austin's potential. We all liked Michael Young as an underrated recruit. The offensive staff told us in the summer when he got there, this guy's good. We hit it on Michael Young. Mm-hmm. So all of last year, we're like, well, Michael yeah. Young's going to emerge. Then didn't they say he wasn't great? It doesn't make sense to me, but didn't they say he wasn't a great practice habits yeah. guy? Yeah, he's I, got. he needs, I was going to say, he needs to follow the process. He's a guy yeah. that needs the process in order to get to the next level. Our last question is from at ND Zach. Miles Boykin was a good player, but do you see that as a huge loss? I'm looking forward to seeing some of the younger guys. Indy needs speed, a wide receiver. We're just talking about this. Uh, I would love to see Miles Boykin running down the field in Athens to help out Ian Book. I do understand the question. A lot of young guys. If the, if Austin and Young and one other guy hits, they've replaced Miles Boykin because you have more options, more guys going around out there. I'm telling you right now. Miles Boykin would help when they're playing number three Georgia. Oh, I mean, I just, I, you know, you've said that, you know, that you, you can replace receivers. I get it. Compared but, but to defensive ends is <laughs> my main I, thing. I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, but, and then there are receivers and there are go-to receivers, and he absolutely was a go-to receiver. His hands were tremendous. Back shoulder throw. Um, you know, the <laughs> guy, guy. When, you needed, when you needed a play, he was yeah. the guy making the plays throughout most of the season. He had touchdowns in six straight games for crying out loud. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a real significant loss. It's like I don't know if it's in the first segment or early in this segment. Like when they lost St. Brown, they were like, "Eh, right, it's fine." He literally did that, right? Eh. Yeah. <laughs> With Boykin, I think it's like, "Damn it, um, yeah. this is a guy we wanted back on the team." I mean, the the back shoulder fades, the hands. I mean, the like, how many times have you seen Miles Boykin just freaking lock out a cornerback on an outside run where he's got no chance to make a play? Yeah. Um, all that stuff. I mean, he probably he would have been a captain. Um, That's a big one. A good example to follow. Like he's just he really would have had because I mean we'll talk about this a ton on future podcasts. Like the captains for next year, it's a pretty short bench. Hey, Chase Claypool has matured. He is not ever going to be a captain on a football team, and he's a senior wide receiver that has freshmen and sophomores following him next year. I mean, yeah. Chris Fink is there, and Chris Fink will be a good. Steady guy in the room, but he's he's yeah. not like the Miles Boykin presence of a leader no, and no. captain. It's just not his. You know, you've got style. you've got Keys, Lindsey. I think Lindsey. You know, he has a ways to go in terms of consistently catching the football. That 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 was, I mean, that was a problem this year. That was a big reason why he didn't get on field. Plus, he's like, I interviewed him. I haven't done the story yet, but he's like twelve pounds heavier than when he got here. So he's added some weight. Kendall uh, Abdur Rahman is a really really intriguing freshman coming in, an intriguing athlete because he's a great athlete, but will he know how to play wide receiver yeah, on the college the level? I mean, I mean, he was a he was a high school quarterback, so I, I have no no idea how that 
transition will go. With him, they have five sophomores ahead of him. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. hard for him to get those now, reps once mid-August. But if he shows, shows if he shows a natural inclination there, the athletic skills and the speed are mm-hmm. are pretty significant. Uh, we're gonna come back next Thursday, right? Let's do it. I'm not sure. We had man, we had a ton to talk about uh, since last Thursday with with Pete. And me, I'm not sure we'll have as much next week, but. We're gonna give it a give it a try, and we'll our readers. We'll that, make something up. We have yeah, we no, our our readers. <laughs> I have to say, the, especially the last two weeks, have given us a a great cross section of of questions. So we appreciate it, and we'll be soliciting those questions again next week. Thanks for joining us. This is Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by SeatGeek. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.